1 Corinthians 15, we'll begin in verse number 14. Once again, we'll read this verse. And I have some information up on the slide. The resurrection reveals what is empty. Right? So this is kind of the thesis statement. This is kind of the main thought that we're trying to get across today. Sometimes when we preach, as preachers, we try to come up with a really cute title. Something jingly, right? Uh, I was teasing the ladies. Where's Miss Sonia? Oh, there she is. I was teasing the ladies because of yesterday's t- uh, the, the ladies' tea. There were these cucumber sandwiches everybody was fighting over. <laughs> Nobody ever eats cucumber sandwiches except for tea time, like specifically. Nobody ever makes them. Nobody even knows what they are. And there were these open face. So there was the ones that were covered and those were delicious. But then there were these fancy ones that were cut into triangles with cucumbers on top. And man, I'm telling you what, it almost got like violent because there were only a couple of them left. Got any more cucumber sandwiches? No, we don't want the ones with the hat. We want the ones that were were open. And, uh, And everybody got one. Everybody acted Christian. It was good. But sometimes, like as preachers, we come up with these titles just like cucumber sandwich. And everybody's like, oh man, that sounds amazing. What spiritual truth? I've got to listen to that sermon about the cucumber sandwich. That's incredible. Right? And it's good. But sometimes preachers, it's like, you know what? I just don't have the headspace to come up with a cute title. Uh, And then other times it's like, you know what? This is what the sermon's about. It's about the resurrection reveals what is empty. (laughs) Right? That way you know exactly what we're getting at. And then we've got a few points underneath there. um, And we'll get, those are the two points of my sermon, essentially. And that way they can be reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. We learn through repetition, right? And so uh, we will look at this today. 1 Corinthians 15, with me at verse number 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. And we'll read that one more time, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Verse 14, once again, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless our time together. Certainly not because I'm preaching, Father, but because your word is being preached. And Lord, I pray that you would empty me of self and forgive me of sin in my heart. God, and I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, help us, change us, fill us, and use us. God, so many people struggle with living an empty life. And God, we we need to know why. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to a very honest realization of what in life is empty and vain, and what is true, and what is substance. God, we love you. Pray that you would bless us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Vain. When we look at the word vain in the Bible, whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, it means the same thing, right? Vain simply means that which is empty, okay? Uh, I remember hearing a, a, a sermon one time And he described it as what is inside of a balloon, like an air balloon, right? A little birthday balloon or whatever. 
Something that is vain is just empty. I mean, there's air in there, right? Oxygen, whatever. But it's just emptiness. It's interesting when you look up articles on vanity or that which is vain and empty. One article said this, talking about how our era or this time period, how we're so self-absorbed. This one article says, of all the amazing features of the medieval cathedrals, all of those beautiful, large, beautiful churches over in Europe, is that there aren't any signatures of who built them. And of course, many times they were built over many, many years, so it wasn't just one person. But for the most part, it's fairly unknown who was the one who originally designed this. And it said all this humility and anonymity began to change during the Enlightenment. For example, and I may pronounce this incorrectly because I don't speak French, but I'm going to say a French name, so cringe if you must. Amen. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I think that sounds pretty good, wrote his book Confessions in 1789. He dedicated his book to himself. Quotation. He dedicated it, quote, to me with the admiration I owe myself. It gives the opening lines. I won't read them. In contrast to the 4th century Christian thinker, Augustine, in his book, also named Confessions, which Rousseau took that title, (laughs) he gives all the glory to God. In his opening line from the book of, the opening line of Augustine's book, Confessions, in the 4th century is from the book of Psalms, which says, Great thou art, and greatly to be praised. As much as we might admire Augustine's humility, Rousseau's language sounds more familiar. It sounds like that dedication to me, with the admiration I owe myself, is a dedication that would look right at home today on social media. Is that true? This is the age in which we live. We are so obsessed with ourselves. And if anybody tells us anything that slightly begins to tell us life is not about you, <gasps> In light of this, before we really get into the meat of the message, I want to read Genesis 3 and verse 4, 5, and 6. Because we're studying what is vain. What is empty? Is there any way to know in life what is vain and what is empty? 
Or should we live according to Rousseau's dedication line that my life is for me, for the person I admire the most, meaning myself? Is life really just all about going and finding whatever makes you happy? Is it living a life of pleasure? Is it just living for treasure, for money, for success, for education? Is it living for experimentation? I'm just going to try. I want to try everything. I want to taste everything that this world has to offer. I, uh, you know, the, 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 the hashtag or the catchphrase YOLO, you only live once. Again, that's all about you. You only live once. And that's some people's mantra for life is you. It's me. I only live once. They, but let's look at what the original temptation was as we look at vanity. What did Satan tempt Eve with and then Adam? Look at it with me. Genesis 3. It says in verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Was that true? If they ate the fruit, would they die? Yeah, they would. Okay, that was an absolute lie. Now notice what he goes on to say, verse five. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what he tempted them with? Several things, but one primarily is, if you eat this, you'll know. You'll, have, you'll finally find, listen, you'll finally find the meaning in life that you've been searching for. But what happened when they ate that fruit? Did their life, was it filled with goodness? Was it filled with substance? Or did it become empty and meaningless? It really went towards emptiness. We need to understand that in this life, there are things that we can test and try and go after that when we give ourselves to them, it brings emptiness. These things the Bible describes as that which is vain. That which is vanity. There's a book called The Shame Machine, written by author Kathy O'Neill's, written by a woman. She begins to describe how so much of the marketing is intended for, and she's speaking directly to the lady side, the women's side. And she says in an article, and she talks about Kim Kardashian. It says she delves into the numerous ways that corporations, governments, and much of the media have weaponized and turned into big business the shaming of individuals or groups. One example is the Kardashian empire. Kim Kardashian's body is central to both her brand and her commercial empire. Her very profitable company sells makeup, lipstick, and other cosmetics. By early 2020, Kardashian's fortune was creeping towards billionaire status. And in April 2021, it was achieved. The founding assumption of her business is that looks are not God-given. 
It's a never-ending job, and it's expensive. One branch of her branded enterprise involves pitching shelves of products designed to help lesser mortals, meaning people less beautiful than her, achieve the perfection of the Kardashian image. For a single, listen to this, for a single Instagram post, she rakes in an estimated half million dollars. She pops up on millions of feeds promoting appetite-suppressing lollipops. I didn't even know that was a thing. A 14-day detox program and many more offerings. She sells fantasy. And the marketing is based on shame. Having anything less than a dream body is a choice. And if you don't like what you were born with, you can fix it. It's up to you. This is a powerful message, especially for young women. Their anxiety regarding these issues is unrelenting, and it begins early. These fears fuel endless business <clears throat> for, quote, sex goddesses like Kim Kardashian. To inch closer to their ideal, <clears throat> millions of women strive, worry, work out, diet, buy all kinds of branded garbage. Again, this is a quote from her book. And yet never achieve their goal of looking like her. Many of them feel like wrecks. Beauty has long been the perfect scam, an inexhaustible shame machine, unquote. Those are all her words, not mine. We've talked about the ladies for a while. Matter of fact, when you look up on this one particular website, when I, looked, when I just typed in the word vanity, everything was related to the lady side. I could, I mean, I could have had, I could have read six, easily six articles, talked about teen girls and how their anxiety and depression is through the roof nowadays, by and large because of social media and the amount of pressure that they feel to be the perfect, to have the perfect body, the perfect skin tone, the perfect this, the perfect that. And there's another article that talked about how there's this filter that you can put on uh, your Instagram or whatever social media, how it kind of gives you all this perfection, perfect skin, perfect lips. I don't know how a filter does that, but apparently it does. They talked about how uh, Instagram or Facebook has, I think 4,000 employees dedicated just to maintaining and, and keeping up with that filter and making it what it needs to be. Are you picking on women? Actually, no. We need to know what's real. We need to know what's real. Well, how about the men? Let's be balanced. You're right. Let's talk about the men. And for the men, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter one. <clears throat> Some people say everything is real in order to be politically correct or to try not to offend or maybe just so they don't have to worry about, you know, making a, a decision for themselves. Everything is real. Other people want to talk about nothing is real. Nothing is real, they say. We're just living in a hologram. How many guys have heard that one? Right? Uh, there's another thinking out there. We're living in a hologram. Explain that, Pastor. I'm not even going to try. I just know I've heard it. 
Uh, when I try to talk to people about the Lord sometimes, some, some people with a secular background or maybe they have a religious background, doesn't matter. They try to say things like, you know what? I just think that this world were, it was populated by aliens. How many of you guys have heard that one? What, what are they saying? Nothing's real. We live in an alternate universe. We live in the matrix. Pastor, what have you been reading? Determining what isn't isn't vain. What isn't isn't empty. What is and isn't truth and substance is really the most important pursuit that you will ever take in life. Just tell me what is true. Ecclesiastes or the preacher is the title of the book. Somebody tell me who wrote this. Solomon wrote it. That's right. Thank you for raising your hand. Um, And thank you for saying it out loud because I asked. Thank you very much. Yes, Solomon. That's right. Now, we're not going to go through all the details of Solomon's wealth. But at this time, he was the richest man in the world. So what did he do with all of his time and with all of his money? Ecclesiastes. It says in verse one and two, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now notice in verse three, and this gives us the context to understand this book. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh, notice, under the sun. So every statement that he's making, there is a lot of great spiritual insight and truth in this book and a lot of wisdom But we need to understand that this is all something that is dedicated to under the sun, right? This is heavenly wisdom, but it's not necessarily God's wisdom that speaks through and shows us. This is almost, it's inspired by God. This is God's word. There's no doubt, 100%. But he's kind of giving us 12 chapters of his experience. And it really comes down to what we find in just the first couple of chapters, a little bit of chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. We're just going to look at a couple of these verses. And after we look at these verses, we're going to define a little bit more about vain. Then we're going to look at the resurrection and say the the resurrection cuts through and shows us this is real and this is a lie. So then we need to live our lives based off of the light of the resurrection. Okay. Okay. Verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Jump down to verse 16. I communed with mine own heart. I was trying to find himself. He was thinking. That's what he's saying. I was thinking in my own heart. I was trying to find out. What is he trying to find out? He says, lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Okay? So he's a thinker. 
He's looking after wisdom. Primarily in this particular context, he's talking about man's wisdom, the wisdom of this world. Okay, another way that we can say it is education. Doesn't the world teach us that the, 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 the path to happiness is education? Don't seize up on me. Is that true? Is, is that what the world tells us? No matter what happens, you have to stay in school and get educated. Okay, not necessarily bad advice, but is that the ultimate source of truth? That if I fill my mind full of wisdom and full of education, that somehow I am going to be fully satisfied inside, that I'm not going to be like Adam and Eve that took a bite of that and wants it, it's like now it's just emptiness. What happens when the guy that has more money for more tuition fees, amen, and, and he can pay those tuition bills, which he didn't have to because he was the king, this guy just sent for people that knew stuff and they came and they taught him and they explained it. Verse 12, or 17, sorry. And I gave my heart to know wisdom. Notice two sides. Then it says madness and folly. So both sides, education and silliness. Right? That's what he's saying. And I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. We'll talk about vexation in just a second. But let's jump down to chapter two. So the first thing that we see, if we're going to pick on the guys, we've talked about the ladies again. Why? Why are we talking about this? Because we're all looking for something. What am I living my life for? The ultimate why. And how do I know? Well, he said, well, you know what? I gave myself to wisdom. There was vexation and spirit in that. Then he said in verse, uh, chapter two, verse one, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. Now, this is a time period in which when you were rich and you were a king, one of the ways that you displayed that was through marriages and political marriages. And he did that more than anybody. He had hundreds of wives. Okay, and concubines as well, which means they didn't have the same marital status, but they, he slept with them and they lived in his house and they cleaned his house and that kind of thing, right? Again, uh, we need to understand when we read the Bible, it's descriptive. Just because it describes something doesn't mean that God is in favor of that. He is not in favor of that kind of living. Well, how do you know that? Because notice what it says, this also is vanity. God does not instruct us to do something that results in emptiness inside Now, let's just, before we move on, let's talk about how this world is obsessed with sex. To the point where they're trying to tell us that is the fundamental way that you find out if you're going to live a vain and empty life or live a life of fulfillment. Experiment, try, get all you can. Don't seize up on me. You know exactly that's what, the, that's what every TV show, so many YouTube channels, a lot of TikTok, everything. You've got to make it enticing and sexy and you've got to try and you've got to get as much as you can. 
Am I speaking the truth right now? You guys help me out. Oh, pastor, this is awkward. Listen, the Bible talks a lot about sex. A lot. And we need to know about it the way God intended for it to be. And not just to allow the world to tell us. We're on two sides. We either say, okay, whatever the world says, and we just float down that river of emptiness. Or we go way Victorian on it. We just be like, oh, you know what? There's just no such thing as sexual pleasure. Uh, how's that working for you? Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? Meaning, I tried just silliness, happiness, laughter, comedy. Anything wrong with comedy? As long as it's clean? No. It's a gift. Why, 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 why does God make us to laugh? God laughs. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Bible says in Psalm 2. Right? Verse 3, I sought in my heart to give myself into wine. Now back then it was wine. Then he goes through a big list. Get acquainting my heart to wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven of all the days of their life. So he's basically like, look, I'm going to experiment for everybody. I'm going to try everything. That's what he said. That's what he just said. I'm going to experiment. I'm, I'm going to try everything. I've got the money. I've got the time. I'm going to try everything. So then he gives us a list. Women, he just talked about that in verse number one. Laughter in verse number two. Three, wine. Can we just say addictive substances? Can we just say that? Now, he didn't have co cocaine back then and heroin and, and whatever pills and, and whatever this and whatever that and mushrooms or whatever the, you know, the garbage going on, you know. Uh, I've had people, young people tell me, not church young people, but people out in the world, like, oh, you know what? Young people nowadays, they don't really drink that much. They just do mushrooms. It's like, you know what? Honestly, like that is completely out of my knowledge bank and experiments. And I'm going to have to like Google how to do mushrooms, but maybe that's not the best thing to Google, eh? Are we good? You guys with me so far? Now, why wouldn't you? It, it, it kills me. You've got these guys and these girls that go to the gym and work like dogs in order to get the body that they want. And then they go out and drink. They work like dogs to get the, the body that they want. And then they go out there and they start popping, shooting mushrooms, whatever that is. Laugh at pastor on my ignorance. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. There are some things you ought to be proud about your ignorance of. Amen. That's one of mine. But he's like, hey, hey I'm, 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 I'm going to try this. I'm going to do the wine thing. It keeps going. Verse 4. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and or orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house also. I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of the kings and of the provinces. I got me men, men singers and women. Remember, this is before, you know, iPhones that can play music. This is before uh, recorded music type stuff. If you, wanted some, if you wanted to hear somebody sing, you went and there were real, like, people that had to play and sing. Right? I got me men singers, men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. 
back when every instrument was made by hand, handcrafted. So I was great, verse 9, and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Does the world tell us to do that? Preachers have been saying for years that the world says, get all you can and can all you get. Right? Get all the money you can, keep it, use it, have fun, get houses, get orchards, get lands, get cars, get motorcycles. Praise God for motorcycles. Get, get this, get that, try it. If there's something new, go give it a try. Then he said, my heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was my portion of all my, no, don't miss this. Verse number 10, we're, get, we're getting to the end. We're about to transition and talk about all this stuff. We're just doing a quick Bible study and talking about that the fact that he's saying that I tried all of this. This is not theory. This is experience. Notice he says his wisdom didn't, listen, he, he tried all this stuff and he, it didn't change his ability to be able to discern that this, was, that this was empty and meaningless and foolish way to live. That, that is not a promise that it will be that way for us. So many people that, 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 that give themselves to pleasure and give themselves to education and give themselves to everything. It changes who we are fundamentally. We don't think the same, but he's saying, listen, I didn't, I was still able to think through what was happening to me. And, and he said here, he said, my heart rejoiced in all my labor, but notice Notice the difference between my heart rejoiced in all my labor. He, he was able to see everything that he had built and everything that he'd done and listen to this beautiful music and he tasted all this wine and tried all these addictive, uh, addictive substances and, 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 and he had all these wives and he, and he had all this education. He had everything. There wasn't one thing that the world is promising us today that he had tried. He had all of it. Verse 11, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do and behold, all was vanity. God help us to learn this lesson. All was vanity and vexation of spirit. This is not necessarily a list of things that are wrong in and of themselves. It's not wrong for education. It's not wrong for you to find a spouse. It's not wrong for you to, for, for you to enjoy life and build things and have houses. Some of these things in, in, in a particular context, and that's a different lesson, could be wrong. But there's not necessarily a list of wrong. It was wrong for him to give himself to these things and to find fulfillment in these things. Very interesting if you take the time to look up the word vexation. The word vexation in Ecclesiastes is mentioned seven times. Vexation of spirit, and there was no prophet under the sun, he says in verse 11. What is vexation? All was vanity, emptiness. What happens to the person whose life is defined by chasing after and getting things that are empty? You get it, but when you have it, your emptiness increases. 
The word vexation of spirit may be otherwise translated feeding on wind. The Bible says that we have a body. We have one. If you're here, you have one, right? A soul, generally, we think of that of the mind, the will, and the emotions, right? The psyche, we can kind of think of it that way as well. But then the Bible says we have a, a body, a soul, and a, a spirit. The spirit is the part of you that's hungry deep inside. Look at me, listen. The spirit is the part of you that is hungry deep inside. The part of you, the spirit is the part of you that, that, that longs to connect with God. Why? Because he is spirit. He's the father of spirits, the Bible says. And Jesus says that his, his words are spirit, that they are life. And if we do anything but come to God and to his words, it, not necessarily to just have a good time, but to satisfy us deep inside, it's like taking a big bite of the wind. Your spirit will not be satisfied with the wind. By the way, all of the people that say the foundation of all of the philosophies that we've talked about just here recently with the sexuality and with trying this and trying that is based on the assumption that we came here by accident through evolution. Essentially, we don't have an eternal spirit inside of us. And yet so many people, all they're doing is they're going and they're trying and 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 and the emptiness just seems to increase. No, I'm not going to pretend for a second to be a medical doctor. I'm not going to pretend for a second to be a therapist. I'm not going to pretend for a second to be able to diagnose mental health issues. But let me ask just a second for us just to consider a possibility, if I may. If you look up the government statistics for the city of Toronto, 50% of Toronto has been diagnosed with a mental health condition. That can mean anything from they're in a hospital and they're under constant supervision all the way to I'm experiencing anxiety. 50%, my friends. My question is this. Before you start taking medication, let's ask the question, what has your spirit been feeding on? Could it be That so many people are so deep and so hungry deep inside because they have a spirit that has been vexed because all they're doing is going after vanity. Things that are vain, things that cannot satisfy deep inside. Now my question is, how do we know, my sister and my brother, how do we know what will truly satisfy? How do we know what's vain and what's empty and what's meaningless? Let me go back to our text verse. And I'm almost done. And the point's up on the screen, so it's not going to take a lot of time to nail this down. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. This is the test. This proves 
Why should I trust Christ as my Savior? Because it's not vain, it's not empty, it's not meaningless. You know how many atheists, former atheists, have tried to prove that Christ did not rise from the dead and have failed and have become Christians? This world is so intoxicating. We have three enemies, Satan. When anybody ever wants to accuse God of evil, we always forget about Satan. And we always forget about our own responsibility and the evil in this world. God is not the author of evil. God is the author of good. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is the author of good. God is good all the time. And he would not have been good had he not given us a free will. He did not want to create robots. He gave us a free will and we chose sin. We chose that which was empty and meaningless and worthless. And that's why we live in a world today that is filled with promises that cannot come true. Why? It's because of us. It's not because of him. So what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. He took our place. All of the wrong choices that we've made, all of the silliness that we've done, all of the horrible, evil things that have done by humanity throughout throughout, throughout all of time was placed on Jesus Christ. He took on all of the penalty for those things. He became our sacrifice to die for our sins. Now, anybody can die and anybody can say those things. I'll take your sins on me. Many people in history have tried that. I'll die for the sins of my country. I'll be the sacrifice. I'll become a religious leader and they've been killed. But how do you know if it's true? Because three days later, Christ rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. Proving that he did take your sins upon himself and proving ultimately this is what is Real. This is what is real. And everything else is just an illusion of promise. Buddhists try to teach us that everything that is visible is an illusion. And you practice the Eightfold Path of Buddhism in order to come out of that cycle and into the awareness of nirvana or enlightenment. But Christ said, you can know what is real right now by placing your faith and trust in him alone he proves what is real he proves what is true and when we follow him we are following in the path of truth he is the foundation of our existence everything that he said we must come to and realize this is the truth this is the path this is the way this is what i need to give my heart to that is the foundation Empty people live for empty things. And the resurrection points to peace. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you, have you come to the place where you say, yes, I believe he is who he said he is. And I'm willing to trust. You have to mentally 
with your intellect, except, yes, he is real. He did do those things. And then you have to believe. He did it for me. He, I'm going to make him the leader of my life. He saved me from my sin. And I believe he rose from the dead. You say, Pastor, I've done that. Are you living according to what he's taught us? Of what is truly real? Have you set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth? Or, or have you allowed the things of this world, the promises that we looked at with Solomon, to entice you into living your life primarily for these things that cannot satisfy? Is your spirit feeding on substance or the wind? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.